You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. In May of 1521, the French army besieged the Spanish fortress of Pamplona. A 30-year-old soldier named Inigo, a veteran of these wars for over a decade, followed his lord and commander into battle as always. But this time, a stray cannonball ricocheted off a nearby wall, shattering Inigo's right leg. He was taken back to his father's house in his hometown of Loyola in the Basque region of Spain. There, in an age before anesthetics, he underwent a series of painful surgeries to repair his injured leg. Though these surgeries involved re-breaking and resetting the bone multiple times, eventually Inigo was able to walk again though he would walk with a slight limp for the rest of his life. Wanting to read while he convalesced, he asked for copies of romances, tales of chivalric knights fighting nobly on behalf of their ladies' fair. With no such chivalric romances easily available, he instead received copies of The Lives of Christ and the Saints. These stories inspired Inigo in a way the chivalric romances had not, Just as he had often imagined himself competing with the knights in his favorite stories, emerging victorious from acts of bravery or from battle, he resolved to imitate, even to surpass, the holiness of his favorite saints. As he left Loyola after his recovery, Inigo embarked on a new life. He changed his name to Ignatius, possibly because it was more familiar to other Europeans, and went abroad to study philosophy and theology. He went on pilgrimage and began a daily regimen of prayer and meditation that he would later write about and publish as the spiritual exercises. By 1540, he and a few of his closest companions received approval from the Pope to form a new holy order, the Society of Jesus, whose members would come to be known as Jesuits. Over the next century, the Jesuit order would become one of the Catholic Church's most important tools in combating the spread of Protestant Christianity. Jesuit missions span the globe, from Europe to Africa, Asia, and the Americas, and the Society of Jesus became one of the leading organizations behind the growth of universities, public education, and theological scholarship. By the end of the 16th century, one of these Jesuit theologians, Martin Antonio del Rio, had identified a new spiritual threat, witchcraft. First published in 1599, Martin del Rio's Magical Investigations would become the most popular manual on witches and demonology since the previous century's Malleus Maleficarum, effectively bringing the witch craze to the Low Countries and the Americas. In this episode, I'll take you through the complex history of the Reformation and Counter-Reformation in a story that encompasses the lives of three men, two continents, two centuries, and the modern era's most influential witch-hunting manual. Four years before a cannonball would shatter Inigo's leg, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 points of argument critiquing the Catholic Church's sale of indulgences 
to the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg, changing the course of European history. In 1521, Luther was summoned before a court overseen by the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, the most powerful member of the House of Habsburg. Through a stroke of luck and ingenious dynastic marriages, Charles V happened to rule not only the extensive territories of the Holy Roman Empire, but also Spain, the Kingdom of Naples, and all of Spain's holdings in the Americas. He also happened to be staunchly Catholic. When the court called on Luther to recant his critiques of the Church and return to the fold of Catholic doctrine, he refused. In an earlier time, he might have been burned at the stake for heresy like so many of his reforming predecessors, but Luther had supporters among some of the highest-ranking nobles in the Holy Roman Empire, one of which secured Luther's escape. While Inigo was in Spain recovering from his injury and reading about the lives of the saints, Luther was in Germany, publishing pamphlets and building the foundations of Protestant Christianity. Over the next century, as more radical forms of Protestantism emerged, the Catholic Church felt increasing pressure to respond. Thanks to Inigo, now Ignatius of Loyola, the Church's response, sometimes called the Counter-Reformation, was vast. Ignatius and his Society of Jesus became the new face of the Church in the world, with a special focus on missionary work and education. While members of religious orders in the Church traditionally took vows of chastity, obedience, and poverty, Jesuits took a fourth vow, total obedience to the Pope, the order's commander-in-chief. You see, Ignatius never really stopped being a soldier. He thought of his spiritual exercises of daily prayer and religious contemplation as a kind of boot camp for the soul. Only, instead of building physical strength and endurance, these exercises focused on the strength of the spirit. Jesuit writings, especially those of missionaries, often employed the vocabulary of warfare. Missionaries were to think of themselves as soldiers of the church, fighting on the spiritual front lines against the devil himself. So when Martin del Rio began writing his witch-hunting manual in the late 1590s, it was as a handbook to aid his fellow Jesuits in what had become not just a war against the spread of the Protestant heresy, but against the very forces of evil working in the world. Martin Antonio del Rio was born in May 1551 in the city of Antwerp to merchant-class Spanish parents. He received an excellent education, including completing a master's degree in law from the University of Salamanca in 1574. Del Rio's career spanned one of the most turbulent periods in the history of the Low Countries. Beginning in 1566, Dutch rebels rose up against the rule of the Habsburg King of Spain, Philip II, in what would later be called the Dutch Revolt. This unrest would continue for nearly a century, ultimately breaking up the Low Countries into northern and southern territories. The northern, mostly Protestant territories became the Netherlands, while the expulsion of Protestants in the south led to the Catholic provinces remaining under Habsburg control well into the 18th century. Only a few years into his political career in the Netherlands after graduating from university, Del Rio decided to take holy orders, 
petitioning to join the Society of Jesus in 1579. Without waiting for permission, he headed back to Spain in 1580 and joined the Jesuit order. When Del Rio was asked to return to the Low Countries for missionary work, he refused. Instead, visiting areas of Spain, France, Germany, and Austria. This was probably wise. His cousin Luis had been arrested by the rebels and died shortly after being released. And Martin's father, Antonio, escaped, only to die a penniless exile in Portugal. During his career as a Jesuit, Del Rio wrote one of the foundational texts on witch hunting, second only to the infamous 15th century Malleus Maleficarum. Del Rio's manual, Disquisitionum Magicarum Libri Sex, or Six Books of Magical Investigations, is, as its title suggests, a multi-volume series on witches, witchcraft, and demonology, published between 1599 and 1600. Mainly a scholarly work relying on other classical and religious texts, the investigation brought a Catholic counter-Reformation flair to the ideas first expressed in the Malayus. Some scholars credit Del Rio alone with bringing the witch craze to the Low Countries. His works were certainly popular, and the investigations would be reprinted by presses as far afield as Venice well into the mid-18th century. Contrary to the Malleus Maleficarum, which recommended torture in most cases in order to secure a confession and prescribe death as the only safe punishment for a convicted witch, Del Rio argued that torture was unnecessary, provided there were two or more witnesses to testify against the accused. He also argued against the legal admission of confessions obtained by torture, saying this kind of evidence should only be admissible if more reliable evidence was impossible to obtain. He also constantly cautioned his readers against superstition, arguing that the devil was constrained by natural law, and any belief in magical or superstitious remedies was itself diabolical. For Del Rio, the best defense against witchcraft was sincere belief in Catholic doctrine. For Del Rio, as for many early modern demonologists, Demonic intervention in the body of a victim was a staple of witchcraft. However, he was also quick to refute anything he saw as superstitious or contrary to accepted principles of physics or natural science. For example, on the question of whether the devil or an evil spirit could cause someone to appear in two places at once or transform someone into a werewolf or other shapeshifter, Del Rio writes, these things fly in the face of physical laws and the order of nature. Because these ideas are contrary to nature, Del Rio advises that his readers consider them only, quote, illusions and deceptions. However, since the devil was reduced to working within the realm of physical laws and human physiology, Del Rio argued that illness or an imbalance of bodily humors provided an opening for demonic possession. Del Rio's theory of health and disease was based on the Galenic theory of the humors, a medical theory dating from the early 3rd century, 
that stated that health was contingent on the internal balance of four fluids, or humors, in the body. An excess of any of these humors would cause disease. According to Del Rio, the most dangerous imbalance with respect to demonic possession was an excess of black bile in the body, which caused melancholia, a disease characterized by mental anguish and physical exhaustion. He devotes a chapter in his investigations to the notion that the priest and confessor is a kind of spiritual physician, and that in order to heal both bodily and spiritual causes of disease, the priest must be familiar with the causes of both. By integrating medical and spiritual healing, he advises confessors to, quote, know the causes, types, and cures of diseases in order to distinguish physical from spiritual sickness and real remedies from superstition. To illustrate the relationship between spiritual and physical health and to provide a scientific medical basis for a witch's ability to cause illness, Del Rio writes, I must now explain by what pact an evil spirit inflicts illnesses. The evil spirit is certainly the external cause inasmuch as he comes from without the body to take up residence in it and to bring illnesses to it. If the illness needs a physical basis, he triggers internal causes. This is how he starts melancholic diseases. First, he stirs up the black bile which is within the body and drives black specks into the brain and the cells of the internal sense organs. Then he increases the amount of black bile by moving to it agents which dry it up with excessive heat, or he retains it so it cannot be expelled. He also causes epilepsy, paralysis, and similar injuries by bringing down fluid which is somewhat too thick, which he does by blocking one of the ventricles of the brain or by obstructing the roots of the nerves. In assigning tangible medical causes to disease caused by demonic possession or witchcraft, Del Rio also argued against what he saw as superstitious cures, including the recitation of the psalms by or over the afflicted patient. On this, he writes, Those who claim there is some power in certain psalms, inasmuch as they've been assembled in a particular order, are foolish and superstitious. But of course, the influence of Del Rio's investigations would reach far beyond Europe, thanks to widespread Jesuit missions. Like many in the 16th and 17th centuries, Del Rio expresses a deep distrust of all religious beliefs and practices that differed from his own. Some of this may have sprung from Del Rio's studies in Inquisition-era Spain. During his studies in Salamanca, Del Rio saw what he called the remnant of an evil gymnasium, where, according to rumor, a group of Spanish Muslims had once practiced and taught magic. Thanks to the Iberian Peninsula's remarkable religious and cultural diversity in the Middle Ages, evidence of a significant Muslim presence is still visible in modern Spain. This was, however, not a plus for Del Rio, who argued, quote, as a result of the Moorish occupation of Spain, the magical arts were virtually the only subject being taught in Toledo, Seville, and Salamanca. 
Like any good Jesuit during the Counter-Reformation, Del Rio saw Judaism, Islam, Protestant Christianity, and witchcraft as synonymous forms of idolatry. As he put it, quote, idolatry and witchcraft go together. For Del Rio, magic was, quote, the handmaid of moral turpitude, and in heretics in particular, the desire for magic was immensely strong. To a devoted Jesuit in the 16th century, the list of idolaters was long. Del Rio wrote that anyone who wanted to find evidence of witchcraft should merely, quote, witness the Muslims in Africa and Asia, the heretics of Germany, France, and Britain, and the apathetic Catholics called politici in Italy and other places. He argued that the danger of ignoring such heresy was that, quote, evil spirits take up residence in heretics, who then deceive humanity. Thanks to Jesuit missions, Del Rio's writings on this subject would make their way as far as the New World, influencing Spanish policy when it came to converting the indigenous peoples of the Americas to Catholic Christianity. When Spanish Jesuits struggled to convert the Yaquis in Mexico, their writings blamed the devil's influence. When they described the Yaquis' non-Christian practices and beliefs, missionaries spoke of superstition at best, and at worst, witchcraft. Early Jesuit accounts of the Yaqui mission describe sorcerers who cast evil spells on the missionaries in order to kill them, and regular appearances by Satan, who came in various shapes and urged the Yaquis to kill the Spanish. One such missionary, Andres Perez de Ribas, grew desperate, and in 1617 he formally requested that a copy of Del Rio's investigations be sent to him. After consulting the text at length, he concluded that the Yaqui were clearly witches, deceived by the devil himself and acting on his behalf. In 1607, Del Rio petitioned Rome to be allowed to return to the place of his birth in the Low Countries. Three days after returning home, Del Rio died on October 19, 1608. The next year, Ignatius of Loyola was beatified, declared blessed by Catholic authorities. He was canonized as a saint on March 12, 1622. In his spiritual exercises, Ignatius left this advice to the members of his order on discerning whether influences come from good or evil spirits. When the enemy of human nature has been perceived and known by his serpent's tail and the bad end to which he leads on, it helps the person who is tempted by him to look immediately at the course of the good thoughts which he brought him at their beginning and how little by little he aimed at making him descend from the spiritual sweetness and joy in which he was, so far as to bring him to his depraved intention. 
in order that with this experience, known and noted, the person may be able to guard for the future against his usual deceits. The good angel touches each soul sweetly, lightly and gently, like a drop of water which enters into a sponge, and the evil touches it sharply and with noise and disquiet, as when the drop of water falls on the stone. Del Rio leaves us with his own advice for those untrained in such discernment who might be inclined to believe in magic. There are those who say that evil spirits exist, but deny that magic is done by means of evil spirits or devils, attributing its effects either to God operating directly or to God using good angels in order to produce these effects. I maintain that this opinion is entirely blasphemous, since it confuses genuine miracles with acts of trickery. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen and never miss a new release. You can help spread the word and give us an algorithmic boost by rating and reviewing Enchanted on Apple Podcasts. This episode was produced by me with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with me via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow on Facebook and Instagram at enchantedpodcast and on Twitter at EnchantedPod. As always, to learn more and check out the sources for each episode, visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening, and stay enchanted. <laughs>